listening to Sermons at High Peak. You know, we really like to compare things. Um, for example, I've got some images here, and uh, we like to compare apples. So you prefer Red Delicious or Granny Smith. We also like to compare cars. Some people love sports cars. Others prefer something more classic, like a muscle car. Um, and of course, we also like to compare sports teams. You know, you've got uh, Duke and Carolina. Those are two that we like to compare to other teams who are actually good. <laughs> I'm kidding about that. But, um, you know, we, we uh, like to compare your favorite singers or musical groups. Um, at least with those kinds of things, though, our comparisons, they're, they're mostly just, you know, personal preference, things that we enjoy. It doesn't really have any earth-shattering, life-changing, life-altering kinds of uh, effects for most people. But when it comes to theological difference, it could be a life or death or even longer significance. For example, your eternity can depend on your comparison. Pick the wrong car, you know, maybe you'll be stranded by the side of the road. Or maybe you'll have to pay more money in insurance. Pick the wrong team, and you could be bored during the playoffs. <laughs> Pick the wrong store to buy groceries, and you might end up having to pay a few more dollars for a few different items. But if you make a bad choice about theology, about world religions, it could affect your eternity. That's right. What comes after death? You could be exposed for all eternity to something terrible and miserable. And so we find this kind of a comparison in Hebrews chapter 7. Now this continues the argument from verses 1 through 10, which we looked at previously. Jesus is the superior priest and king. He's compared to the Old Testament priesthood. And uh, he fulfills a prophecy from Psalm chapter 110, verse 4. You could look that up yourself. One would come who was like Melchizedek. Now, a lot of people don't really know much about Melchizedek. Who is he? Uh, that would be a, maybe an advanced question in a trivia quiz, a Bible trivia quiz. But Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which most people believe, most scholars believe, is the, the city that eventually becomes Jerusalem. He was the king of righteousness. That's what his name in Hebrew literally means. Melchi, meaning king, and Sadiq or Tzedek, is righteousness. The king of righteousness. Now, he was also called the king of peace. He was the king of Salem, which is a word that means peace. It's the root of shalom. And then he was a, an eternal priest. He's not limited like the Old Testament priests. And we find that in the fact that, you know, we don't get a genealogy for him. It's not that he didn't have a father and mother and that he didn't have offspring. It's just the Bible pulls him out of time. And the book of Hebrews says because he's pulled out of time and he's not given that genealogy, because even though genealogy, genealogies are incredibly important to uh, Jewish culture in, in biblical times, uh, he's pulled out of it because he's sort of seen as outside of time. And this passage reads like a response. 
Uh, I can imagine an author who's standing around with his fellow Jews, you know, the author of Hebrews, whomever that may be. And uh, he's standing there talking with uh, some of his friends. And, you know, kind of like buddies would compare cars, he's instead comparing Jesus uh, to the Old Testament priesthood. So he says, Jesus is better. He's the better priest and the better king because he's eternal. He's righteous. He's the king of peace. You say, uh, the people would then say in response, wait a minute, you're saying Jesus is a priest mediating between people and God? And so the author then says, let me explain. Remember we were talking about Melchizedek? And then he goes on to share with us what we find in the rest of Hebrews chapter 7. And he gives us that comparison between the order of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood. Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. And he compares Aaron with the order of Melchizedek, someone who very little is known of. We see him in the Old Testament in Genesis, and then we see him later on in the book of Psalm, in Psalm 110.4, and then we find him here in Hebrews. And not much is said about him, his personal life, his family, his uh, time leading the nation of Salem. But Jesus is compared to the priests as a member of the line or the order or the type of Melchizedek. And one of the first things we learn is that that comparison tells us the Old Testament priesthood is the imperfect priesthood. That's right, the Old Testament priesthood, in all of its glory, with so much time and effort spent in describing it, laws given about how they should uh, perform their duties, their rites in the temple, that is incomplete, imperfect. Uh, not so much imperfect in the sense of sinful, but imperfect as in doesn't fulfill all that God wants and needs of a priest for his people. But it still has a role. It still has a purpose. And so to suggest that the priesthood of the Old Testament is not good enough, well, <laughs> to Jewish people in Jerusalem or in first century uh, Israel or even the diaspora, the, the people who had been driven out of Jerusalem and lived all across the Roman Empire, they might say, that's blasphemy. <laughs> I mean, that's so worthy almost of death. Uh, it would have been hated to have said that. Jesus would have been hated if he had said that. The author of Hebrews might have been hated, but it's the truth. And so it's a difficult proposition. It's kind of like for we as Americans. Uh, if I got elected president of the United States and I began to push to replace the Constitution of the United States with something else, you know, Kevin's top 10 laws of how to govern a country, uh, people wouldn't like that. The Constitution is nearly sacrosanct in our republic. <laughs> uh, and so they would want some clearer explanation uh, in modern times. You know, maybe I'd say we need a new constitution. We need to be clear about some of the issues, you know, abortion and gun ownership, free speech, privacy, the role of technology. Putting in a new constitution would be a huge paradigm shift for us in America in 2022. Well, it would have been a huge paradigm shift for the people 
that the author of Hebrews was writing to, to say Jesus is better than the Old Testament priesthood. <clears throat> but that's what Hebrews is suggesting. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, as I often do. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, and I'll be reading down through verse 14 to begin with. He says, Now, if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear, said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? Uh, so he's kind of offering a, an objection to his own point. So in verse 12, he answers, he says, For when there is a change of priesthood, there must be a change of the law as well. For the one in verse 13, it says, These things are spoken about belong to a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah. And Moses said nothing about the tribe concerning priests. So this, uh, essentially what he's saying here is, you know, because of the Old Testament law and the law of governing priesthood, that would eliminate Jesus from being called a priest. Uh, if you need another priesthood, you'd have to have a different kind of priest. And in order to have a different kind of priest, you'd have a new law. <laughs> sort of like we would need a new constitution if we wanted to change drastically our governance. And this new law, well, that's just too big a change. So why make the change, even? Why bother with such a change? Isn't the Old Testament priesthood good enough? And the author of Hebrews says in verse 15, And this becomes clearer if another priest, like Melchizedek, appears, who did not become a priest based on a legal rec rec excuse me, who did not become a priest based on a legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. For it has been testified, and this is Psalm 110.4, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This prophecy says that Jesus, the Messiah, has to be a priest like Melchizedek. And it's going to propose, propose four things. Number one, he's eternal. Uh, an indestructible life, it says. Number two, he's the king of peace, just like Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Shalom, peace. Number three, it's a king of righteousness. Melchizedek, king of righteousness. And therefore, he's perfect, complete, there's nothing lacking in him. So what was lacking in the Old Testament priesthood? Well, we'll have to look and see that. What does that have to do with the Old Testament law? Look at verse 18. It says, so the previous command is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable. Verse 19, for the law perfected nothing. But a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. None of this happened without an oath. For others became priests without an oath. But he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, 
the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. That's verse 22. So in other words, the Old Testament priests get appointed based on one thing. Who's your daddy? <laughs> Who's your father? What's your lineage? Are you according to the line of Aaron? Are you in the Levitical tribe? And therefore eligible to be an Old Testament priest. Jesus is appointed by an oath from God, not according to who his father was. Well, wait a minute. Actually, Jesus' father is God. But he made the oath. He made the oath in Psalm 110.4. You will be a priest according to this order. So then let's look at verse 23 through 25. It says, many, Now many have become Levitical priests, since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he meaning Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who came to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. You know, he's saying Jesus, in his perfection, in his eternality, never gives up the office. An Old Testament priest would eventually die, and someone else would take over. The high priest would either retire or he would die. Uh, but even if he just retired, eventually he would die. Someone else would stand in line after him and become the new high priest. It's kind of like this. If you take your car to a mechanic and ask him to fix the problem because, you know, the engine won't start. So he decides, well, we need to replace the starter. And that does it at first, but then it doesn't work again. So then he replaces the uh, fuel injector. And then you bring it back a third time, and it's the battery this time. It keeps getting fixed over and over again. I mean, you keep going long enough, eventually you might end up replacing part by part the entire engine. But after each of these repairs, eventually, after two or three of them, you're going to say, I don't think this guy's good enough. I, I don't think he's getting the job done. Maybe he's not a terrible mechanic, but he's not able to fix my car. And so you say, I need a new mechanic. Well, what this passage is saying essentially is you have to keep going back to the priesthood for sacrifice. And if I have to keep going back to him, then he's not effective in bringing about perfection. He's not effective in wiping away all my sins. But there is one, there is one who came along and his sacrifice was once for all. His sacrifice is complete. It's perfect. So the Old Testament priests kept dying, uh, not as young men. It wasn't a serial killer that was wiping them all out. It, it was just the serial killer of old age that gets us all in the end if Jesus doesn't come back. So when Jesus died, though, he rose again. And he lives forever, so he's able to save. He's eternal because he lives on. His sacrifice, therefore, is eternal. It's complete. And so when you compare him to the Old Testament priesthood, which was incomplete or imperfect, Jesus is the perfect priest. The word for perfect in verse 11 really means complete, total, full. Jesus used a form of this word on the cross, 
when he was finished doing the work of saving us from our sins through his sacrifice, as he was about to die, he cried out to tell us die. It is finished. When you grow to completion as a disciple, you might use this term to say, I've become complete now. That's our goal. We'll never do it in this life. Uh, perfection in a moral sense is you don't lack anything morally. There's, there's no imperfection. Uh, there's, there's nothing in your life that keeps you from being totally perfect. And so it's used in all of those different ways. And here it's used to say that Jesus' priesthood was complete. It wasn't lacking in any way. So look at verse 26. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as other priests, as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all, time, when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. On the week of Passover, uh, before Jesus ended up dying, you know, something happened outside Jerusalem, just as it happened in every Passover before this. Uh, they, they would take the Passover lambs, the shepherds, outside, by the way, near Bethlehem, <laughs> And they began to herd the sheep towards Jerusalem. So they took them along a road. And this road led from Bethlehem, kind of up a hill towards Jerusalem. And they'd come to a gate, which was right outside the, the temple. And um, they went from Bethlehem, which was called the hometown of the kings, uh, or of King David, rather. And there was this watchtower over the entry into the city along that road. So when the Bible says in the Christmas story, the shepherds were keeping watch by night, this is what that refers to. This is talking about these shepherds who would bring these sheep. And so it's very possible that they were doing this during the Passover. Maybe Jesus was born Passover week. Maybe not. We don't know. But that's what they were talking about. So as they kept watch, the Shepherds would watch the sheep. They had already selected just the best sheep, the perfect, unblemished lambs. But what they waited for was which one of these sheep would stay on the path. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, all the sheep that had stayed on the path, on the straight and narrow, every one of those would be then taken to the priest, and the priest would pick the most perfect, the unblemished lamb. And so they were judged by their obedience, and also by how perfect they were. And then they became worthy of sacrifice. And so in verse 26, it says, For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. <laughs> in other words, separated from the rest of the flock that wasn't quite good enough, and exalted above the heaven, heavens. When you look at those terms, holy means um, it's not the typical word for holy, you know, sanctus or uh, sanctos that uh, we get in the New Testament. 
Instead, it, it means compared to God. He's not polluted with imperfections. You know, it's like a bottle of water. You get a bottle of water and they'll say it's been purified. But you know, I've found uh, some have said that these bottles of water are just tap water. I have a man that I know that, you know, he used to uh, work for the, the water plant in our town. And he said that his testing found that the town water was often cleaner than bottled water. <laughs> No water is without some pollution. Uh, and just like that, none of us are without imperfection, but Jesus is. And so he's holy. The term innocent and undefiled are almost synonyms uh, for that term. It's like he's using three different words, meaning essentially the same thing. Innocent, holy, without sin. Undefiled, holy, nothing has soiled it. It's like a brand new shirt versus a shirt that's been worn. Uh, and then verse, the, the fourth one, he says he's separated from sinners. In other words, like the sheep that were taken away uh, from the bad sheep, and then of those, only the obedient sheep, and of those, only the perfect sheep was chosen for sacrifice. You know, when you talk about fruit spoiling the bunch, you know, you put a bad piece of fruit that's uh, rotting and decaying, and you put it in with good fruit, what happens to the good fruit? Eventually, it gets rotten. So you want to take the bad fruit out before that has a chance to happen. And so what he's saying is Jesus has been separated from sinners. We know that Jesus spent plenty of time from sinners, with sinners, I mean. But in a sense, his soul, Jesus himself, his being, is separate from us because he is perfect. Uh, perfected and, and not perfected, I'm sorry. He is perfect and he is without any fault whatsoever. And he has the effect on us. And that's the kind of high priest that says that we need. And as a result of all of that, the last thing it says about him is he's exalted above the heavens. Now, often when you see that phrase, the heavens, the plural, it's often talking about the skies. And so he's exalted beyond our sky. Uh, they had this attitude and mentality that heaven was outside of the universe. Uh, which, you know, who knows, maybe that's the truth. Maybe there is a boundary to our universe. Scientists today like to say it's, you know, goes on forever and ever, but they don't know. They've not been there to see and observe that fact. Maybe it's possible that that's where heaven is, but symbolically that's what they mean, above the heavens. So in glory, he is perfected. And all of this comes together for us to see his glory. And therefore, as a result, he's not just better than the Old Testament priesthood. He's perfect. He's the superior priesthood. It's not like there's a good one over there in the Old Testament. Jesus is slightly better, but maybe there's something even better than Jesus. No, he's perfect. He's at the top. There's nothing better than him. It's like a, a person I know always says this, Jesus is better. That's kind of his slogan as a pastor. Hebrews 7.28 says this, For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. He's perfect forever. When it says he's weak, it's not an insult. Uh, you know, it could be, you know, you're, he's basically saying that, that, uh, they could have been physically strong, 
and good strong leaders. Uh, there were some great priests in the Old Testament Israel's history, uh, but compared to Jesus, the Son of God, they're lacking. He's the second part of the Trinity. He is God. And so any human being is going to be less than that. Reminds me of a, of a preacher. He gave an impassioned message, shared the gospel in a really powerful way. There were lots of amens during the service. And after the service, people greeted him on the way out the door. And one older man said, that was a fine sermon, preacher. Well, that preacher was trying to sound humble. And he said, well, it, it, it was uh, all God. The old man looked at him kind of sheepishly and says, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> you see, the Old Testament priesthood wasn't a failure. It just wasn't as good. And that's by design. God made it less than in order for us to hunger for the more than. It made it lacking so that we would long for the complete. And as a result, we, who are a royal priesthood, long for Jesus, who is the perfect priest, the superior priest. He is God incarnate, a human being. And as a result, he is the king of kings. He's the righteous high priest. He is the king of righteousness, the king of holiness, and he's the king of peace. And he's king for all eternity. He's priest in all those ways as well. And he represents us to the Heavenly Father. He'll be our advocate. But he also brought God to us. He brought him to us. So a perfect priest is a, a go-between. You know, that's what our job is. As First Peter says, we're a royal priesthood. We are to represent Jesus to other people. But we represent the people to God. We pray for them. You know, I don't offer sacrifices in the same way the Old Testament priesthood did. But I do sacrifice if I'm being faithful. I sacrifice in order to uh, show love and compassion to people around me. And then I pray. I sacrificially pray for people as a pastor in my church or uh, as a husband for my wife or as a father for my children, as a friend to my friends. Jesus is the great high priest, the Son of God, and we are his representatives in this life. There's a man named Michael Nandi, and he was a Nigerian believer. He was known for having a bright smile and cheerful all the time. He was one of 270 students at the Good Shepherd Seminary in Kaduna State in Nigeria. Well, on January 8, 2020, an armed gunman entered his school, kidnapped four students, including Michael. For some reason, after a period of time, those other three were set free, but not Michael. A few days later, Michael's body was found on the side of the road. Obviously, he had been beaten mercilessly by his kidnappers. Uh, his twin brother spoke to reporters about his brother, Michael, said that he was bothered, uh, <clears throat> or I'm sorry, said that his brother uh, would have celebrated his 19th birthday together that week. The two of them would have celebrated it. But he said Michael loved God so much and his only hope, at least Michael's brother said this, his only hope was that he knew he would see Michael again one day. And he knew that Michael would have said, 
If I must die young, I want to die as a witness for Jesus. That murderer was hunted down and he was eventually found. And on the day of Michael's birthday, he was interviewed in prison. He was jailed that day. Why did he so brutally beat him and then leave him on the side of the road dead when he let the other three boys go? He said this, He did not allow me any peace. He just kept preaching to me his gospel. I did not like the confidence he displayed in his faith, and I decided to send him to an early grave. You know, similarly, Jesus sacrificed himself so that we might have freedom, even in death. Michael sacrificed his life so that his attacker might know freedom, even in death. If only he would have believed and repented. Who knows, maybe he will. I don't know the end of the story of whether the man is still even alive. But at least he had the chance to hear the gospel. You see, we're all called to sacrifice. Kind of like a priest would sacrifice for the sins of his people. Our eternal great high priest and king of kings wants that for everyone. He wants us all to experience the freedom of life after this death. He wants it for you if you'll only believe him, if you'll only trust him, if you'll only accept that wonderful gift. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening.